Hello, my beautiful people. Welcome to Permission to Think. I'm Edna Rustrian, and I'm glad you're joining me today. Thank you to all of you who week after week tune in to Permission to Think. My desire is to push our thinking, encourage you, and remind you that there is always hope, regardless how bad things get. I hope this podcast has blessed you and added value to your life. For more information, please visit Erustrian.com. Hello, everyone. I want to welcome you to part two of what I learned in 22 years of marriage. This topic for me, it's quite personal. It's um, one that I, over the past week, I have continued to think about and really ponder on my own personal life experience in the past 22 years. Um, the shortcomings, the success, the blessings, the failures, uh, the arguments, um, all the things that you find in a marriage, uh, the lessons that we learned. And so, but before I go into part two, I wanted to just kind of get this off my heart, off my chest, and just kind of make sure that um, what I'm communicating with you here is something that have or is a collection of experiences that have um, really impacted my life and changed my thinking and allowed me to have this growth mindset um, because so many of the things that my wife and I experienced in the marriage have really become our greatest teachers, our greatest lessons. And so I speak from a place of commitment, I, I speak from a place of endurance, resilience, I speak from a place of overcoming many obstacles. And through those moments, those very difficult moments, there were times where um, you have a lot of questions, you have a lot of doubts, a lot of fears, and you don't know whether you're going to make it um, in, in life or, or in your marriage. And so I am very cognizant and very mindful that there are many who may not be in a really great relationship or season in their marriage. And I want to let you know that I, I, I hear you and I, and I know exactly what that feels like. Um, I do not want to um, undermine or perhaps uh, ignore that there are relationships that are verbally abusive or physically abusive. There are men and women who may be in a really toxic relationship, a really toxic marriage right now and may not know if they're going to make it through another day. And so... And if that's the case, I really hope that there is a moment to seek professional counseling. Um, this podcast, these lessons or these thoughts, these musings that I, that I share with you uh, have not come uh, very easy to us. Um, next week when my wife joins me, um, we're going to talk about our marriage and she's going to share her perspective over the past 22 years that we've been together. Um, that might give you a different lens, but I definitely want to let you know that um, it is possible. It is possible for a marriage to endure, uh, even in this particular time and season that we're in, uh, in spite of so many distractions that we have today, um, in spite of how easily it is um, that so many of the things that were difficult to do before and decades ago, it's so easy for us to get distracted and lose sight of what's really meaningful in our lives. And so I just kind of wanted to share that out and just kind of kind of share my heart with you that I know that many marriages are not in a good place. 
And my prayer is that and hope is that uh, whatever I'm able to share, maybe it will resonate with you in, in some way. And um, the next five things that I'm going to share is um, to complete the 10 that I originally stated from the beginning. And it's hard to narrow it down to say, like, are these the tests, the 10 things that are, are just like uh, the tenets or just the pillars of marriage? No, no. But for me, these are the things that I identified in putting this lesson together because this is my story and no two marriages are ever alike because of the personality of the interests or the commitments that are in each individual marriage, the visions, the desires, the longings, the ambition that lies many times in the heart of the ones who are married. Um, and so for me, I'm sharing what my experience is. Maybe something will resonate with you. Maybe something, some things will not, and that's okay. But grabbing what you can that can help you in your journey to just kind of make it through uh, life uh, for another day. <laughs> but I do believe that when we get through life's biggest storms, our marriages can thrive and they become stronger. When we get to the other side of things, um, the sun comes out. The sun comes out and then you see a greater appreciation for your spouse um, who has weathered the storms with you. And so... I just want to encourage you to hang in there and I hope that you're able to connect and just find something that I'm going to share in the next five, five things that I learned. So I gave you five things that I learned last week and this week I'm going to give you six, seven, eight, nine, and 10. And so we'll start off with six and I learned that money problems are not a financial issue, but communication. And so I've met too many couples with financial problems and quite often when you begin to ask questions and just kind of with your permission of course just kind of like dig deeper into it you realize that there is a, a really really big gap in communication and not understanding primarily what the goal is collectively and I think sometimes the biggest mistake we all make is to, to use the phrase, well, you know, I work really hard, so I deserve to have this. That is a very dangerous word to use because it gets us in trouble many times. When we use the word, uh, I deserve to give myself this, even if it's going to cost me more than I make, it's a recipe for disaster. So there's, there's really good philosophical thinking and there's really cheap philosophical thinking. The cheap philosophical thinking, which I, my opinion is, to say, well, you know, you only live once, so we have to splurge, right? Um, I don't agree necessarily with that statement only because later on, uh, if history serves right, you have witnessed many people who have said that and eventually they'll end up living a very broke life, a very dysfunctional life later on for not having a plan when things get really hard, right? I think that if you have the option to say, well, should I uh, splurge on this or put in food on the table for my family? I think those are the things that get in the way. And so just to add one more thing, I think that what really destroys our marriages, to tell you the truth, is pride. Pride is so rooted in selfishness and, and, and self-ambition. Um, that's not what love is. That's not what commitment is to your spouse, right? So in many ways, the idea that we lack communication and it shows in our finances is that we're not on the same page in agreement. So when you're dating someone, right? Go back a little bit to when you were dating. When you were dating someone, um, I really think that we are all, we all got, right, a, a short trailer 
of the future marriage we were going to have. How your partner treats you, speaks to you, how the person handles money, how the person handles problems, stress, failures, past relationships, their faith, how the person treats his or her parents are all big indicators on how the person is going to treat you. And somehow or another in dating, we, we ignore those signs because we are so uh, enamored with the idea of being with someone. We are so infatuated with the thought of, 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 of being in a, in a good relationship and being in our dreams coming true. However, in spite of all those things that I just mentioned, one of the top reasons why people end up getting separated or divorced is finances or money problems. The problem many marriages face is that they try to tackle money problems with ideas and budgets. When money problems are just the symptoms, the real problem is communication. How do you sit down and communicate the plan, your financial plan? Where are you going? And so when people are pulling on different ends and they have different objectives, whether it might be individualistic uh, budget plans and um, we are not working together towards a goal, is divisive. And so one is trying to save, catch up with bills, and the other one is just spending. And I think that there isn't a clear, concise point that you get to sit down and evaluate everything and say, well, we make X, we make X amount, this is what's coming in, and we spend X amount. And you know, for me, like anybody that knows me knows that for me, credit cards are not, <laughs> are not a way to live. You know, you buy something, you pay it cash. If you can't pay it cash, then don't buy it. And what happens is that when you get these credit card offers, people just signed up with money that think that it belongs to them, but it really doesn't. And so when you have financial goals, you have to sit down and really think about your children. You have to think about where your destination, your goal is in the next five, ten years. And if you're going to have something later on so you can enjoy the, your, your, your latter days, this is a biblical principle. So for me, it is very important to understand that. I do think that much of the spending that goes on is perhaps at times very selfish. Uh, emergencies are going to happen. Um, the tragedy is going to happen. You know, this is not something that you live with this constant negative thought like, oh my goodness, you're waiting for the shoe to drop. No, it isn't. It's the life, it's, that is the one certainty of life. Things are going to happen. There's going to be, you know, some sort of issue that's going to come up financially big that you better be prepared for because otherwise it's going to put you in the hole. So I think that for me over the years and the issues and some of the challenges that my wife have had, uh, with money has been because of that. We weren't on the same page. We didn't communicate. We didn't uh, put things in perspective, right? Like how the decision is going to be. So why are we doing this? And and so in years, you, you learn some of these things. So I want to encourage you that if you're facing a financial challenge right now in your marriage, sit down. Talk to the person because think sometimes the, uh, we get to a point where we're doing emotional spending. Sometimes we don't grow up from our childhood thinking that we, everything was given to us and all of a sudden in our relationship now everything must continue to be that way. And so I am a big proponent of trying to communicate, sitting down on the table and just talk through those emotions and feelings. Like if you're an emotional spender, right, like you're having a bad day and you feel like you need to treat yourself to something, Really think about that. Just wait. Give yourself a day or two. You know, um, there's something to be said about being frugal, smart with your money, as opposed to just kind of squandering at every need or, I mean, out of every want that we all have, okay? So that was number six. I learned that money problems are not a financial issue, but communication. Number seven, I learned that you grow through the different seasons of life. Now, in the beginning, 
before I gave the first point last week, I said that I know nothing, right? That I, I and, and the reason why I said that is because in marriage, you evolve, your wife, your spouse evolves. And so things are always constant in this growth and this change. There's always some sort of um, that uh, landmarks that we all make through, through the years, for every five years, every 10 years. And I realized that the, the woman, the, the wife that I thought I knew 10 years ago is not the same one as she is today. And every time I turn around, she's evolving, she's changing. So what does that do is that I keep learning. I keep learning about those things. But I learned that if you open your mind and your heart, that you're going to grow through different seasons of life. The unpredictability of life is always certain, right? Okay, let me say that again. The unpredictability of life is always certain. One never knows the seasons and stages we will experience. I call them vicissitudes because the definition of it is a change of circumstance or fortune, typically one that is unwelcome or unpleasant. The truth is that life is pretty much a collection of those experiences. Some of those experiences are unwelcome, they're unpleasant, but we must determine whether we are we're in this together or not, right? We don't grow in comfort. We don't grow when all the boxes in our lives are checked off on the things that we want. We don't mature in our relationships in ease and plenty. Hardships, although undesirable, have a way of turning our hearts to what really matters. What gives your life meaning is not pleasure, but pain. Now, some of that, that line may not resonate with some of you. And that's okay, but really, I really want you to think about this. What gives your life meaning is not pleasure, but pain. The discomfort we experience through painful situations allow us to seek the purpose of our lives, the meaning of our lives, the virtue of our lives. And the most interesting caveat of all of this is that when you're going through pain and suffering, the one thing that you must always ask yourself is like, who's walking this side with me? Who's doing life with me? In the most difficult seasons of your life, if you find yourself alone with no one to encourage you, with no one to be there by your side to hold your hand, the human touch is such a powerful thing. Just just today, as, as right before I got on to do this podcast, you know, my heart felt heavy. Going through some really interesting feelings and emotions and just felt completely discouraged. And my wife sensed that and she came over and like she held my hand and she laid her head on my chest and she prayed over me and she spoke confidence. She spoke the word and these words of encouragement, it, it lifted me. It lifted me. And so what I'm saying is that life in itself is difficult, but it's more difficult when you don't have anyone on your side to push you and to encourage you. That's what a good relationship looks like, that in those seasons of life, that you're, someone is there to walk with you, but more importantly, that you are there to walk with someone. Pain and suffering, when responded correctly, will strengthen our inner being to be resilient, tenacious, and committed. In contrast, I want you to listen to this. In contrast, pleasure numbs us of the reality. It strips us of our worth and reduces our value. Pleasure leads to mental, physical, and spiritual atrophy. We gradually decline in effectiveness and vigor. Our inner core experiences a degeneration of value and worth, depleting the soul of its strength, 
nullifying every reason to live. The balance of life is accepting both and understanding their purpose. True pleasure is not in unmerited treasures, changes of fortune, or binging. True pleasure is waking up early in the morning to be alone with yourself and God, to hear your heartbeat, to love, and perhaps like yourself enough to be alone with yourself. There are people who struggle with this. They can't be alone. You know, the best time of the day for me is that 4 o'clock hour, early in the morning. Gosh, everything is so quiet. I get alone and I get to tune in. And some of the best moments of my, of my life have come out of just the deep reflection of getting my mind and my heart ready for the day. Pleasure is not in the sexual activity in our bedrooms but in the intimate embrace of the person who truly knows you and chooses to love you, true pleasure produces peace and joy. And and, and I want to linger here for a moment because I think that quite often we invite screens to our bedrooms. There's no TV in my bedroom. We never, we never had a TV um, in our bedroom. It's one of the things that we established from the beginning. You know, I think that quite often the movies that you watch, for some there there's a large percentage of people that are addicted to pornography. And if you're a man and you're trying to reenact the scenes that you see in those porn movies, you're you're depreciating the value of the woman who spends how long in years with you. It's so destructive. It's so divisive. Your mind can't sleep. Those images are so destructive. They give you a fake idea of what intimate touch is, and that isn't. And so it's one of the things to remove those things and to have meaningful conversations before you go to bed, to hold each other, to talk to one another. Get rid of your phone out of your bedroom if you have to. Get the TV out of your bedroom if you have one. None of those things engage in meaningful conversations. That I always find that the bed is such a sacred place. It's a place where you dream. It's a place where you pray for one another. It's a place where you encourage. It's a place where you're intimate. It's a place where you show your deepest affection and joy towards one another. And yet we have reduced it to another place of entertainment. It's to be a place of solitude. It's to be a place where you and your partner are just embracing and talking about expressing the deepest affection and love for one another. Now, I mentioned these two thoughts because so many people miss, miss it in their marriage or in their relationships. And I just want to say this about particularly the idea of life and marriage. No one builds a ship to leave it in the docks. If your marriage is a ship, right, you can't, you're, it will never stay in the docks. It's meant to go to the deepest part of your ocean, the oceans. Your marriage ship will go out to sea, and it will experience turbulent weather, storms, hurricanes, typhoons, tsunamis, at times even pirates. And after a marriage goes through those unexpected and unfortunate weather disasters, the only thing that will remain is you and your spouse. Considering that you were truly committed to the person and not the life you wanted. And there is the problem. Many married a life they desired, not the person. Let me say that again. Many married a life they desired, not the person. And so many people fall into this trap. I didn't marry 
this person. I married the idea of having this in my marriage, which now is going to lead me to my next point. Number eight, I learned that I'm not my wife's savior. <laughs> um, I put this here because I think, you know, as I shared before many times over that quite often I'm, I'm always seeing myself as some sort of problem solver and part of the leadership aspect that, I, that it's me. But I think at times we must understand that there was only one person who came to save the world and the world rejected him and he was crucified for it. So we shouldn't suffer from a messianic complex. I think that we should give that up. I think quite often we try to save our spouses from the self-destructive behavior and that's not our job. That's not your job. Beware of control or being a controlling person, for this is a sign of insecurity. Many, I know this for a fact, many enter in marriage with the hope to change or transform the person who they think they should be. Isn't this true? I think many of us, if we admit, we want to make this by our spouse the person that we think they should be. This is wrong. Dating is the trailer to your movie. You got the tickets. You got the popcorn. The best seats in your IMAX movie theater. And all was well till 10 minutes into the movie when you cried out loud, this movie sucks. Let me out, you scream. I want my money back. And then you realize that there are no refunds or exchanges. You then want to rewrite the movie by yourself without consent. This is what many people do. Many use the writer's approach to cast their partner in new roles they wish them to play. I want my husband to be more sensitive. I want my husband to be a little more attentive to the house chores. I want my husband to fix the light that needed to be fixed about three months ago. I want my husband to just come home and talk and have these beautiful conversations. I want my husband to be the husband that I've always dreamed of having. That's what you cast in your new script. I want my wife to be the best cook. I want my wife to be the most beautiful. I want my wife, my home to be always clean and picked up. I want my wife to have my dinner ready. I want my wife to be this or to be that, whatever it is that you want in your wife. And you rewrite the script because that's what you want. And the problem with this approach to marriage is that you will never be satisfied with your partner's role. You will forever be rewriting it until you write him or her off the script. You kill your spouse in your movie. You then pen your part to be a greater one. And you will insert yourself as the hero only to realize later on at the very end that you were actually the villain. Stop trying to save your husband or your wife. A Messiah already exists and his name is Jesus. Just a quick reminder. You are not the Messiah. You are not there to change your spouse. You are called to love your spouse. The Bible calls us to love one another. 1 Corinthians 13. This, this text, this, this short excerpt has been quoted in many movies even. Right? 
1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Listen to what these words are. And, and this is particularly if you're married. So think about this. And even if you're married for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, or even if you're married for three years, or you just got married six months and you're trying to rewrite the script. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Picture that. That love keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And let me share that truth with you one more time. You're not your husband's or your wife's Messiah. You're not their Savior. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, if you switch later on to 1 John in the Bible, it says that God is love. Now, let me make that clear. God doesn't have love. He is love. And that's what we are called to do. Love your spouse with his or her imperfections and learn to pray, model love, communicate, listen, care for your spouse. Stop trying to save your spouse. That's not your job. Let me go into nine. I learned that I can never meet all of her needs. As a husband, I had to I had to really get this part straight. I think at times many of us who really um want to be the best husbands that we could be, we we try to meet all the areas in our spouses' lives and, and their hearts, and we can't. There is a place in my wife's heart that does not belong to me. It belongs to her heavenly father. I say that to say this. I can be the number one husband in the world, the number one dad, and yet not meet her longest, deepest desires. This frustrates many couples because they take it personally if the spouse is unhappy or desires something deeper and meaningful. But it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with the heart's longing for a true, authentic relationship with God. Over the years, I have learned that my wife evolves as time passes. And that some of her needs have changed as well. I have seen her in her youthfulness, without her daughters. And her needs were very different then. I have seen her with our first daughter. And her needs were different then. I have seen her with our two girls, and her needs were different then. Her needs vary and change over time. Who she is as a daughter, a sister, a friend, a wife, a mother, a professional, a child of God carries much weight, and the needs are very particular and unique. I'm not called to meet all her needs and be all she needs. 
it's an unrealistic and unhealthy burden to any spouse to think that he or she needs to be that to their spouse. Take the monkey off your back, please. Too many spouses in an effort to control and dictate what the spouse does and doesn't do or the company they keep try to be all those things to their partners. Sometimes guys need to be around guys. It has nothing to do with not loving you and not wanting to be there. Sometimes guys just want to hang out. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. And you ladies sometimes want to be with your girlfriends and hang out. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the moment we keep impeding our partners from doing the things because we feel threatened otherwise, I think it's much to be considered. Is it jealousy? Is it insecurity that you're trying to fulfill every hole or every gap in your husband or your wife? That is something else. But I learned to be there for my wife when she needs me to. I learned that sometimes I have to step back and let her be. I learned that the most important relationship desires is with God. And as a result, our marriage becomes a better. Let me say that this one thing. So that there is no confusion as to what I mean. A relationship with God does not mean a lot of activities or being busy at church or ministry. Many people have destroyed their marriages because they got this wrong. And then turn around and blame God for their marriage failing. Their children not wanted to be with them. Never wanted to be with them at home. Their marriages fall apart. Their homes fall apart. Their kids go away. They can't wait to leave. Because they've seen two lives. And this has been so destructive to many pastors and many church leaders that they put the church business first above their families and put themselves in harm ways to things that they feel they're going to overcome, but they don't. If you're a pastor, if you're some sort of minister and you're working in church full time, please monitor this. Please, please don't ignore your family. Don't ignore your children. Children, have, children who have grown in churches and have seen their fathers or parents give their entire lives to the church become resentful at many times because when they needed their parents, they were not there. They were trying to be there for everyone else but not for their family, not for their children. Don't rob your children out of that experience. I made that commitment. My wife and I made that commitment that we were not going to do any church activities because we wanted to dedicate our lives, our time as parents to our children this is critical particularly the day age that we're living and this is a biblical principle so i'm not saying anything that is completely wrong my family is what god gave me as a stewardship my daughters my wife my home that's my priority everything else is secondary and so when i return back into trying to meet all of my wife's needs I have to understand that the greatest relationship that she yearns for, desires, is the one with God. Okay? It's not a relationship if you're busy. It's not a relationship with God. It's a selfish behavior if we constantly keep seeking to do things that do not honor the person that you're with. I have witnessed in my wife how she longs for God in the most deepest and most sincere way that she can be, not through activities, not through accolades or stage. She loves God. She loves Jesus, and it's, it's so evident 
in everything that she does in her life, in her career, in her parenting, in her friendships, in her relationships. I learned to respect and honor the person she is. I learned to honor the mother and the wife that she is. There is a place deep in her heart that can only be satisfied by God. And I'm, I'm okay with that. I am more than okay with that. It takes all the stress out. And the last thing I want to share with you, I learned that God must be a priority in my marriage. And as I am going to close with this thought, I believe, I strongly believe that the things that have kept us together for the past 22 years, through all the storms, through all the challenges, has been prayer. It has been that we have made it a priority in our lives to do the best to keep God the center of our lives. And that means that we pray together, we read the word together. But as my wife said one time, she goes, if, if, you're, if our relationship is right with God, our marriage is going to be right. And a lot of times coming through life's toughest decisions, we have taken moments to pray and sometimes take communion. But I can't, I can't stress this enough, at least for me. Again, this is my experience. This has been the, the constant in my life that every time I look back at all the challenges that we've overcome, I have seen God's handprint all over it. I have seen his faithfulness. I have seen his goodness. Things that have happened that I know it was him. The things that I know for sure that it was not me and it was not my wife, but it was him who stepped in. Whether it was financially, whether it was protection, whether it was provision, whatever it was, his handprints have been all over our lives. And when I look back at the road that we've traveled, I realized that some of the terrain was rough. Some of them were valleys. Some of them were mountain peaks. But I, ha I have to tell you that when I look across the room and when I look across our bed and to see that someone as beautiful and as caring as the woman that accompanies me through this journey of life, that she has given me her best years of her life, of her youth. She's given me her heart. She's given me all. And when you look at how difficult life can be, you don't want to get to an old age and be alone. Without a person that you can look back at your grandchildren or your children and feel completely like, where did I go wrong? Where did I lose it? I invite you to think about this. You may be in a relationship that it may not seem, there may not be any hope. I want you to first check your pride. There are moments, there are things in life that do hurt. There are things in life that are so egregious. But I can tell you one thing. Because I've seen this many times. There's nothing impossible for God.
God can fix anything if we just put our pride to the side and invite him to the most deepest and profound wound that you may have in your heart. He is that God that loves us. He is love. He doesn't have love. He is love. Marriage is a beautiful place to be. It's one of the most challenging things as well. But whether it's heaven or hell, it's your choice. It's to sit down and say, God, I give you my marriage. I give you my husband. I give you my wife. I give you this relationship. There's nothing impossible. But when I look back over the years, and over the past 22 years, I am so grateful to have the woman that I have in my life. I look forward to next week as she will share her stories with you. As we will go through um, some of the most difficult moments of our lives, and hopefully it will be able to encourage your heart that you finally get to hear <laughs> the, uh, this beautiful woman who uh, I am so proud of and I am so blessed um, that I'm, I'm called her husband <laughs> and um, I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for her. So I invite you next week to tune in as we continue our conversation with what we learned in the past 22 years of marriage. May I just recap for you before I let you go of the things I learned, the 10 things. And as I said before, there's a, there's a lot. There's a lot. These were just kind of the 10 things that I wanted to share with you. I learned to listen with intent. I learned to respect her. I learned that she is equipped and gifted to do things I'm not. I learned to make decisions together. I learned that emotions and feelings are not bad. I learned that money problems are not a financial issue but communication. I learned that you grow through the different seasons of life. I learned that I'm not my wife's savior. I learned that I can never meet all of her needs. I learned that God must be a priority in our marriage. I leave you with our quote of the day. And it comes from the late Dr. Ed Cole. Marriage may be the closest thing to heaven or hell any of us will know on this earth. Remember, never compromise integrity for comfort. Stay strong. Bye-bye.